you're listening to the Knowing Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Linnell Peters, and it's an honor to walk alongside you in motherhood, whether the journey is just beginning or you're right in the thick of it. I believe that your worth as a mother is not based on your performance and that your greatest strength is the love that you have for your children, whether they're in your arms or only in your heart. My prayer is that this little corner of the podcast world will leave you feeling more equipped, more hopeful, and less alone than when you arrived. Hey everyone, welcome to the Knowing Motherhood podcast. In support of Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, I've been talking with women who have walked well through the pain of loss. My guest today is Jenna Leish. She's a mother to four beautiful children, and she serves alongside her husband, who is a pastor at their local church in Vancouver, BC. She blogs at JennaLeish.com and also offers support to families during their stay in the NICU, where her youngest son, Judah, spent 114 days after being born at almost 26 weeks. Jenna shares with us about the second trimester loss that she walked through before her pregnancy with Judah and what it was like to walk through countless moments of almost losing him in those first few months. Jenna is funny and sweet and I know her story is going to inspire and challenge you on so many levels. Her perspective and faith-filled wisdom is beautiful and I'm very happy that she's joining me on the podcast today. Here's our conversation. Hey, Jenna, welcome to the Knowing Motherhood podcast. (laughs) Hello. It's great to have you here. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. So good. Good. We we both have tea, don't we? I have hot water. Oh. Oh. I'm so not a tea drinker. Like I want coffee or I want hot water. There's no in between for me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I must have misread your your. I did say tea because I always just tell people tea just so that I don't sound like a total, I don't know, diva with my like hot water and lemon and honey. <laughs> mm, or maybe, yeah, just so you don't get the questions. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because I haven't had a cup of tea in months. And then when you said you were boiling water oh, shoot. for tea. Well, then I inspired you. That's awesome. You did. Enjoy I went, your tea. I happily grabbed a cup of tea. <laughs> So thanks for that because it is really lovely. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, so this is really fun for us. I wanted to mention um, just how you and I know each other, but we this is actually the first time that we've actually talked. We've Mm -hmm. heard each other's voices like this. (laughs) Yeah. Because we've both been online influencers and bloggers, and we also have a lot in common and in terms of walking through loss and and hard stuff. And so I just feel um kind of honored to get to have this conversation with you tonight. Right back at you. So let's let's start off with um just hearing a little bit about who you are and what you do and Mm -hmm. your family. Yeah. So I am, gosh, every time I go to say my age, I'm always like, already? I am, (laughs) I just turned 37 and I'm going to say I just turned 37 until I turned 38. Mm. But I literally did just like last month. I turned, well, no, August. I turned 37. Okay. And I... Yeah, happily married. We just celebrated 10 years. And Congratulations. That was, thank you. It was amazing. Um, my husband went like way over the top. It was just awesome. And Oh, yes. Uh, I think I saw something. Yeah. Did you post about it? He yeah, like planned he some. He planned an entire day. And the thing is that I am the planner in their relationship. And so like for months, he was like, 
I don't want you to worry about it. I'm planning something. You can't know anything. And I was like, no, this isn't good for my mental health. Like you need to tell, you need to give me little hints. And he was such a brat about it. But honestly, it was like, I kind of knew, you know, we knew that we'd have, have to stay local just because of our situation. And mm-hmm. um, so I was hoping that we would at least get to do like an overnight. So I knew it would be like Vancouver or Whistler or whatever. And uh, anyway, so yeah, he took me, um, well, first of all, like 10 roses showed up at 10 a.m. And then um, what did we do? We went downtown to like this little taco place that he's been wanting to take me to in Vancouver. Fun. And so we had that. And then we shopped around for a little while. And then he brought the biggest like surprise was we went over to the hotel, which he didn't tell me that we were going to the hotel until we were like on our way there. And so we stayed at like this super swanky hotel. <laughs> I'm like, we cannot afford this. <laughs> but it was like so amazing. And we show up to the room and he had the room all set up with like all these gifts. And he had bought me like a beautiful dress to wear that night to dinner. And like all oh this goodness. just like just showered me. It was just crazy. And we just stood there, both of us just bald, like bald our eyes. <laughs> and he wrote me this, like the best part was he wrote me this really beautiful card. My husband's like a really amazing writer and so he wrote this beautiful card and then we went to the spa and had massages and then we went out to, for dinner and it was the most amazing dinner we've ever had yeah so that was and I won't wow. tell you the rest <laughs> if there are any men listening take yeah notes. right <laughs> take notes yeah. oh my goodness that sounds mm-hmm. amazing so it was just oh. like it kind of felt like to be honest like the last I'm sh- we'll get into this later on in the podcast but the last three anniversaries were like really not awesome. <laughs> mm. So this was so, this was such a redeeming day for both of us. It w- it wasn't even, you know, I kept asking him like, what can I do for you? And he's like, no, no, no. My gift will be watching you react to everything that I've done. Oh, that's really precious. You know? So it was just yeah. like, it was such a special day for the both of us. And yeah, it was amazing. Oh, so I'm, I'm so happy for you. Yeah. yeah. So that, so we celebrated 10 years and, uh, I'm actually originally from Manitoba. So I'm out here, like I'm super close with my family, but none of them actually live out here. Um, and yeah, we've got four kids, eight, our oldest Jacob is eight. And then we, um, when he was three months old, I found out I was pregnant <laughs> wow. to our very huge shock. Um, wow. and so, but she is our only daughter. So what a gift Aww, she is yes. and, uh, the most welcomed surprise I think I've ever had. And, uh, <laughs> so she is seven and then we have our five-year-old who is our like most spunky, passionate child. And then we have our three-year-old Judah. So mm-hmm. my life is, we are also, um, we are location pastors at our church. And so we oversee a location of our church in new Westminster. Hmm. And that's, um, obviously like quite, you know, time consuming and heart consuming. Um, we're both heavily involved though. I'm, you know, not on a staff role in ministry, but, um, still spend quite a bit of time doing that throughout the week. And, but besides that, I'm kind of just, I'm stay at home. Mom brings me so much joy to like, actually do my kids laundry and things like that um because I've dreamt of that like all my life yeah and then just aside from that um one of the things that I get to put my hand to as of recently probably within the last year 
is I became a volunteer in the um, NICU, which is the neonatal ICU where our last son was born. And so I got to start up a parent mentor program within the NICU and it has become like a huge passion of mine. So I get to go in usually once every two weeks, sometimes once a week and just meet with families who are going through similar journeys that we went through. And you're, you're counseling them? You're working with the families? Yeah. So basically oh, wow. it's like, yeah, you're just like a, they call it parent mentors, right? So we just kind of introduce ourselves to oh, the I families see. that okay. are in there and just say like, hey, we used to, um, I got to build a team of other moms that were definitely interested in doing the same thing. And so as of the end of this month, I'll have four other moms that are now working with me to do this. And so we all have kind of different shifts that we do and it's all voluntary Um And so, yeah, we just go in and kind of knock on people's doors and just say like, hey, I'm Jenna. I went through this. Just wanted to know, you know, if you wanted to chat, letting you know that I'm here. So, and it's been, it's been a really, um, a lot of other hospitals have done this. And we, we basically worked with the Canadian Premature Babies Foundation to, um, get this rolled out in our hospital. And so, um, it's been very well received. So we're super thankful that um, we've been able to help out and just like add to um, the team that's already there. So yeah. Oh, I just think that's so amazing. Yeah. It's oh. really like, it's really, really awesome. It And it's, it's been really cool to see as well. Not only that we've been able to help the families who are, you know, in it, Mm-hmm. but even the moms that I volunteer with how it's been quite healing for them. Yeah, like there's yeah. quite the, there's quite the process in order to be involved. Cause we obviously want to make sure that in order to do something like that, that you're doing well with mm-hmm. how you've processed your journey and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so luckily we've had these other four moms are really amazing and have, have processed really well and, and have, very differing stories of how they went through their NICU journey. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so it, but at the same time, like there's just been little things that, you know, getting to chat with a mom that is that a a really similar situation. And then I think it just brings a lot of gratitude, right. To just be like, I used to be there, but now I'm here. So yeah, it's been, like I say, it's become like just giving back to the NICU has become, a huge passion of mine. So that's like a big part of how we schedule our week too. Oh, that's so mm-hmm. inspiring. Do you, how do you find the schedule with carrying that responsibility and then, and taking care of Judah and, and the other kids and it's, yeah, it's, is it, yeah. How it's is not easy. I would say, <laughs> um, we definitely, my husband and I are really big on creating rhythms in our life. And if you, I'm just so big on this book because it just resonates with what my husband and I have been trying to do for the last few years is um, Rebecca Lyons just released a book called Rhythms of Renewal. Yeah. And I'm like every morning I'm reading it and I'm like, yes, I just want to like yell at the roof. What's the saying? Yell from the rooftops. Um, (laughs) Shout it from the rooftops. Shout it from the rooftops. That's what it is. Um, But yeah, she just talks about getting into a rhythm rather than I think, you know, the whole concept of balance like balance is such a myth like Mm -hmm. there I'm never going to be able to have a Mm -hmm. day where I've spent equal time with all four kids and equal time with my husband and time with God and time for myself and you know like that's such a myth and so we've gotten into um especially now that like fall is here and school is back in and I've got three out of four in school 
which is really awesome. And Judah is actually like a really content kid. And so I find that I'm able to get quite a bit done this year. I think you got to give yourself grace knowing like, like last year was mm-hmm. crazy because my four-year-old was extremely demanding of my time. Mm-hmm. And okay. so yeah. I couldn't do as much last year, but this year it's just kind of like, we will look at, sometimes we'll look at together, my husband and I will look at our schedule and our calendar like a week in advance, sometimes two weeks in advance, or we'll look at a month at a glance and just say like, okay, where can, what's going to work for us to slot in like me being away and you being home and that kind of thing. And thankfully, like it's, I always tell people like we're a bit, our, our schedules and our life is a little bit unrealistic to the, the normal family because my husband's job is quite flexible. And at the same time, like he's doesn't have a nine to five. So there's nights Mm. where he needs to go out and meet people for coffee, but then there's also he can stay home on a Friday morning so that I can be at the hospital for a few hours. So mm-hmm. um, there's flexibility in that, but we also work like really hard to create a rhythm in our schedule and we plan in things like date nights and we plan in things like having fun with the kids. And mm-hmm. so it's intentional yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So um, you also do some blogging, mm-hmm. um, but are you doing much of that? Actually, No, I find that with the... My blog, when I originally started it, was back when Judah was born, and it was really started as a way, it's funny, because I felt like God actually put it on my heart years before to do a blog that would encourage, um, pardon me, would encourage pastor's wives, because I was like, there's nothing out there for us, and and there's got to be something for, for wives who are in ministry, and wives who are at home raising little kids, but yet want to be involved. And so that was like a big part of my heart. But then we came upon this season of our lives and I was like, okay, I need to write. And it was definitely a way for me to cope and process all that was going on in our life. But it was Mm -hmm. also just a way I was getting so many texts and emails and, and wanting people to be you know, people wanted to be updated on what was happening. Mm -hmm. And so that's really initially why I started the blog two days before Judah was born, not knowing that he would come when he did. Okay. So, um, and it definitely, it did, it became an outlet for me to just update people, but also just to write out what I felt like God was doing in my spirit. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, within the past year, I feel like I've been using only Instagram for that and kind of just using my blog as a way to um, really just kind of keep in touch with it's, it's kind of cool that it's become a way that God has provided like really fun things for our family and how we've done kind of social media collaborations with different hotels and things like that. And so I'm like, okay, if I still have my blog running, I can utilize it for things like that and show people, um, different places and and fun things to do with family. And so, yeah, I would say the majority of my writing has been um, just through Instagram these days. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, why don't we um, chat a little bit about your youngest, Judah? Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, before we talk about Judah, do you want to just share, you you and I actually have in common the loss Mm -hmm. of little boys um, almost around the same time. I I don't know if it was the same like year, 
Um, no, it wouldn't have been. I think yours might have been maybe the year before, but yeah. it was a, they we were about the same. Uh, we were we were about the same time along in our pregnancy. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So with, for us with River, it was seventeen and a half weeks. Yeah, we were like a week, just a week before that. Okay. All right. Do you want to share about? It? Yeah. So yeah. we had had um, we'd had the first three within three years, and I actually found out. I mean, like we had had a very early term miscarriage with our first, um, which was obviously devastating when that's your first pregnancy and, you know, so exciting. And then I actually miscarried on our way to Disney World to celebrate our one year wedding anniversary. And if there's ever a place that like to mourn, it would be Disney World. Because wow. they're like, it was just, I felt like God filled me with such hope because the songs that are being pumped through your head while you're walking through Disney are like, a dream is a wish your heart makes, you know, like uh, <laughs> when you're fat, oh like goodness. no matter how your heart is beating, <laughs> yeah. if you keep on believing, like it was, it honestly, I felt so full of hope. And so, um, yeah, then we got pregnant really soon after with Jacob. And so then had the, the first three within three years And so my husband and I were kind of like, I was definitely wanting to like keep going. And he was kind of like, okay, three is a lot. (laughs) And so I guess, uh, our third was like, it's funny because I say that and I'm like, our third was only six months, months old. And I was already pressuring my husband to have another child, (laughs) but he was six months old. And we went to a friend, a good friend's, um, like we were friends with this family and we went to their, their daughter's wedding. And he kind of looked at me during the reception and was like, what are we doing? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, we just got to keep going. I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's Aww. keep going. So that was like all he needed was just like, why would we stop, you know, growing our family? And oh, so that was kind of our decision. And so we went and got pregnant really quickly and um, and everything was normal. Like kids were excited. We were super excited. And it came to a, um, it was December 11th and we were preparing our home at the time we oversaw youth and young adults at our church. And so we were having our team over for like a, a pre-Christmas dinner. And so Kobe was bacon wrapping a turkey. It's like his specialty. It's like an amazing thing. And uh, I just was going to pop out for a routine. I think it was like my second midwife appointment. So hopped over my midwives and she couldn't find the heartbeat. And at first, like that did not worry me at all. And, uh, so she was like, you know what, let's just, and it didn't even worry her at all. Cause she knew I have a bit of an abnormality in my uterus that we had discovered with my first pregnancy, which was why my all three were scheduled C-sections. Mm-hmm. And okay. so, um, she sent me off to the hospital just to make sure get a get an ultrasound and the ultrasound confirmed um baby didn't have a heartbeat and so um they actually sent me home and because i'd had three c-sections they couldn't do a dnc and so they were like come back tomorrow and we'll um we'll induce you and get and get you going and so yeah it was actually um it I feel like only mums can understand this, that I really dreamt of, this is the part where I always get emotional. Um, I always dreamt of, of, of labor. (laughs) 
like as oddly as that sounds, I know for some people that are like had hard labors or like, what mm. are, are you crazy? And I'm like, I always dreamt even as a little girl that I would go through labor and get to deliver a baby. Mm. And so when I found out with my first that I, I had to have a C-section, it was really like a God thing that he, he g- did give me such peace about it because mm. I was so disappointed for weeks knowing that this was going to potentially be a C-section. Right. And, uh, so then when I found out with this, you know, 16 weeks and four days um, that I would have to labor and, and I kind of thought, you know, one of the doctors had said like, oh, it'll just feel like, like uh, it'll, it'll, you'll feel crampy. But like, I have never experienced labor before. And so I was getting these like waves of cramps that were coming every five minutes. I said to the nurse, I'm like, is this normal? And she's like, yeah, you're having contractions. I'm like, oh, okay. Like I was kind of like out to lunch because I had no idea what I was experiencing. I expect, yeah, yeah. Um, but the whole process of it, I chose to, I just, ha- I had to, worship has always been my thing. And so I like put headphones in and just kind of had to sing my way through it. And, um, it was obviously like the worst experience of my life, but at the same time, like the, the peace of God that filled me was just incredible. And so I think it was about six and a half hours long. And I, I ended up even having to like push to get him out cause he got quite stuck. Mm. And, um, yeah, he was a little boy that we named Joseph and, um, obviously for, you know, days afterwards, it was just the most heartbreaking thing. And I'd never felt loss like that in my life. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've had a pretty, um, I've had a great childhood and great teenage years and all that. And, and so this was like, obviously so unexpected and, and so hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. And then, um, we hadn't even talked about getting pregnant And it was kind of one of those things that I was like, God, I don't know if I'm, will ever be ready to have to, to get pregnant again. Cause what if that happens again? Right. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, like two months after we delivered Joseph, I found out I was pregnant again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was kind of like, okay, ready or not, here I come. And so like us with river. Yeah. 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 And so it was, I found it very, um, very peaceful. Obviously God's timing is perfect in all of it. Um, you did, you did have a lot of peace about being pregnant? Well, yeah. Okay. That's good. So it can be so hard for some women to, uh, cause there's so many for fear sure. issues that can come yes, up. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like in the, the two months that I had, it was like Christmas time and there was, I feel like there's just a lot of peace at Christmas time, at least for me, there is a lot of peace at Christmas time. And so I feel like God almost like overfilled me with peace so that Mm -hmm. knowing the battle we were about to get into, Mm -hmm. we were equipped. And so I found out I was pregnant and, um, it was one of those things that it was like, is this a false positive? Cause every other pregnancy I've had was like a very bright, what is it? Two lines? I forget. Yeah. (laughs) And this was like, yeah. there. the second line was like really faint. And my midwives were like, no, there's no false positive. Like, let's just, let's get you some blood work and whatever. And so sure enough, it's all confirmed that I'm pregnant. But from seven, I think seven weeks was the first, like right on the nose. I was just lying at home here 
watching TV after the kids had gone to bed and I just felt a massive gush and I actually started hemorrhaging. And so oh when you're goodness. seven weeks, I'm like, okay, like guaranteed I had another miscarriage. Oh, and yeah, so wow. it was enough that I had to go to the hospital and they did a little bedside ultrasound and they're like, nope, baby's fine. Baby's still there. We're all good. And so um, between seven weeks of pregnancy and uh, 19 weeks, I hemorrhaged nine times. Like we were at the ER nine times. Was it a subchorionic bleed? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I had that with, uh, sorry, with um, Dawson, but it was really minor. It was yeah. not gushing. So no, that so sounds the, pretty This awful. was like, it was so, when I think back at it, I'm like, God somehow just covered us because it was so traumatizing, the yes, amount of blood that imagine. I lost every time, oh. like the size of oranges. And so every single time I'm like, okay, that must've been the baby. And then two weeks later, okay, that must've been the baby. And every time we would go back to the hospital and they would, they would do the bedside ultrasound and these doctors would look at me like I was crazy and be like, no, your baby's heartbeat is fine. And baby's growing at a, at a perfect rate. So we don't know what's wrong with you. Right. Oh, So then finally at, um, at 19 weeks, I, it, it always tended to happen like first thing in the morning. And so I woke up, um, whatever, it would have been like 6 or 7 a.m. and felt like a gush, but this time it was like a little bit different. Sorry for like the gory details, but this is, moms are listening to this. We're okay. Um, And I could just tell it was more like liquid. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, did I pee my pants? Like, what is going on? And so, like I said, it was 19 weeks and um call my midwife and she's like, just meet me at the hospital. And so we get to the hospital and they start testing for like amniotic fluid. And so I'm like, well, it wasn't that, that big of a gush that I would think that my water broke. And, and sure enough, it was confirmed. They did an ultrasound and they're like, you have no measurable fluid. And that's like the, almost the worst. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, but baby's heart is still beating, but because you're deemed, you know, not viable, they were like, sent me home. There's nothing we can do. And I ended up getting in to see um, the specialists at maternal fetal medicine. And it was like one of the worst appointments we've had in this entire journey with Judah. Because this doctor was just like, <laughs> I'm like, why do you work with with babies that are in such high risk cases if you just suck at, <laughs> sorry, like Aww. your bedside manner. So she was just very cold. And she did, she took a really good look at Judah and like measured everything and all his organs and everything was perfect. And she's like, well, I'm just gonna, I highly suggest that you terminate this pregnancy because this isn't going to end well for you or for your baby. And she started listing off, like if your baby does live, um, he or she may have all these issues because of not having, you know, lung development and that kind of thing, because that's one of the most crucial items to having mm-hmm. no fluid. Um, and I, so I just looked at her and said, but you said like baby's heart is beating. And she's like, yeah, I'm like, okay, then I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not taking your advice and I will continue with this pregnancy. This is the eighth episode of this podcast and you are the third mother yeah. to talk about having a doctor say that you should, they should, yeah. yeah, that you should abort your pregnancy yeah. because of the possible complications for your baby. 
Yeah. And it's, it's, I, we don't have to talk about the whole pro-life um, thing here, but I mean, that's maybe a conversation for another time, but I just, I can't believe that that's the statistics. Yeah. And um, can you imagine your life? Can you imagine yeah. your life without Judah? Like, no. <laughs> yeah. We've been wanting to, my husband's like, we got to take him back in there and just be like, how do you like them apples? You know? Yeah. <laughs> But we I, haven't. Just, we won't. That won't oh, be very kind. But <laughs> yeah, it's sure easy to make a judgment on a life that's that's still yeah, forming yeah. and growing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And to be desensitized to that, mm -hmm. but like you know, you would never trade it these children for anything. It's crazy. Yeah. So we had that appointment, and I just kind of went back. You know, got sent back home, and thankfully, my amazing mom. Uh, flew out from Manitoba and took like five weeks off work so that she could come help us with the kids and Kobe could continue working. And, um, so even though they, at, I mean, at our point, they were like, we don't really recommend or like suggest bed rest anymore. Cause it's not really proven to work. At least that's what they told me, but my midwives were still like, but please don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just like sat in my bed and prayed and worshiped and just trusted God. And I, what I had to do constantly was just reset my mind to stop worrying and stop thinking of all the what ifs and try to believe God for the best. Mm. So I was praying for like, let's get to 37 weeks and healthy baby and healthy mom. And you know, that yeah. God would provide yeah. the whole, the whole time and whatever. And so at 22 weeks, I woke up again with like more bleeding. And so my midwives got me into the hospital where I would be delivering. And that was kind of one of, one of the many miracles that took place was they actually admitted me at like 22 weeks in one day which they typically wow. don't admit you until you're 24 weeks. Right. Okay. And so, right, um, yeah. I got admitted and just closely watched and got ultrasounds every five days. I think it was, and was there for three and a half weeks with like, you know, no big scares or anything like that until the night of, uh, it would have been 25 weeks and four days. Um, and we were really hoping just to get to that like 26 week mark. It's funny. Cause when you're like mm -hmm. dealing with a preemie and they're preparing you for all this stuff. So we had had like a consultation with a neonatologist. Um, and he gave us all, he was like the most kind man. We're still friends with him today. And he gave us all the statistics of like, if your baby is born at this week, then, you know, the sooner your baby is born, the higher the risk for special needs goes up. Mm -hmm. and the the higher the risk for death goes up obviously and so every single day is so crucial right and we would have these ultrasounds it was so crazy because I have a little video on my Instagram like way back that I took a video of the picture that they took in the ultrasound and it was crazy because um every week we'd have these ultrasounds and the only pocket of fluid was right by Judah's mouth and that's mm. where the, he needed it the most. So it was wow. like I was drinking so much water and coconut water and anything to like <laughs> just replenish fluid in my body as much as I possibly could. And um, so, yeah, 25 weeks and four days was the night that my mom actually flew back home to Winnipeg because she had another grandchild being born that week. And she left at 7 o'clock. And at about 10 o'clock, I was kind of like, 
I had a little bedtime routine that I would do in my little hospital room. And so I was like putting a little show on for myself and washing my face. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is a weird back pain. And so I kind of got in bed. And like I said, I haven't really done the whole labor thing besides what we went through with Joseph. And so this like pain in my side is like not going away. So I get up and I start pacing. And after it'd been like 20 minutes, I finally was like, maybe I should call the nurse because I don't know what this is and starting to go around this the front. And so called her and they decided to start monitoring the baby with that belly band thing. What's that right. called? I don't, even I don't actually know. <laughs> That's a good question. Anyways. And, um, so like a couple hours goes by and then his heart rate started to drop a little bit. And so the doctor came in and checked me and sure enough, I started hemorrhaging again and just these clots. And like, it was just all of a sudden crazy at like midnight. And this doctor took one good look at me and he said, Mrs. Leash, I think it's time to get this baby out. And I was actually, I think back to this moment and I actually felt excited mm. because it was kind of like, and it was like a, a peaceful excitement because I'm like, Oh, I get to meet my, we actually found out the week before he was born. I fully thought he was a girl the whole time because mm. people would pray over us and they would always say like, Oh, Jenna, I just feel like this baby is so full of joy. And, and that was my next girl name. So I was like, it's a girl. Her name is Joy. This is awesome. (laughs) So we find out the week before he's a boy. So anyways, the doctor's like, yeah, he's got to come out. And I just felt excited because it was like, okay, we're, we're, we're turning a page. This is a new chapter now. This is like a, a, we're leveling up in our fight and I get to meet my baby. Mm -hmm. And so, um, Kobe nearly missed it because he had just fallen asleep and I couldn't get a hold of him. So I had to get, had to get like a friend to come to our house and bang on the door and wake him up, whatever. And he made it like just as we were being wheeled into the OR. And um, it was funny because even the nurses, I was just telling somebody this the other day. I said, the nurses were acting like my baby had died. And, and they were like, we're so sorry. And I looked at, I remember I looked at one of the nurses and I was like, you don't need to be sorry. Like I get to meet my baby tonight. And like, I'm having a baby, you know, like, like congratulate me. And that's something I tell a lot of people that if you're visiting a friend that's got a NICU baby, like you can still say congratulations because a life has been brought forth. Yes. And it doesn't matter what the life looks like. Mm -hmm. The life has like, you've had a baby. Congratulations, you know? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, he was born at 3.33 in the morning and he was, he weighed one pound, 14 ounces, which is basically like he was the size of my hand from bum to head. And, um, the first few days, it was interesting. Cause I, I always talk about, I always tell people this one part that, you know, they obviously like wheeled him, whisked him off and Kobe went with him and the team, um, into the NICU. And I obviously had to like, uh, be in recovery for a bit. And they would, they kept coming and giving me updates like every half hour. And every update was like, you know, he's, he's such a fighter. Um, but, but it doesn't look good. Mm. And his lungs are very underdeveloped because he had no fluid in the womb for six months or sorry, six weeks. So this isn't looking good. And so they finally wheeled me back into my room and I was lying there without Kobe. And I remember I'm looking at the clock going, okay, it's been five hours 
since he's been born and I haven't seen him and I don't know what's going on. And 45 minutes passed. And I, I, those 45 minutes, I was like, rather than spending them in agony and crying and worrying, I'm going to spend them worshiping and trusting God for the best. Again, my baby's out. God knows what he needs to do. I'm going to believe for life and hope. And so, um, there's a knock at the door and one of the social workers was there with a wheelchair and she's like, I got to bring you over to the NICU. And I thought, okay, this can't be good. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I just, something rose up in me in that moment, this like ferocious fight of like, I am not going to lose my son today. And she ran um, at Surrey Memorial. You have to, it's quite a distance from the birthing unit to the NICU. And so she literally ran like wind in my hair and brought me into the NICU And the first time I saw Judah, um, he was quite covered in blood because of the blood that, from me, it wasn't from him, um, in the womb. And what made me cry the first time I saw him wasn't actually him. It was the fact that there was like 25 people in the room, like Mm -hmm. working their butts off to save my son's life. And that is one of the greatest gifts Like, how do you ever say thank you to someone for that? Mm. And so um, they wheeled me right up to him. And the doctor was literally working, like, like manually breathing for him with this little bag. And he just said, hi, mom, come and put your hands on him and start talking to him. And so I just, I, I looked at Judah and I put my hands on him and I got as close as I could. And I said, buddy, I'm here. I love you. Jesus loves you. We're going to fight through this together. And um, yeah, that was day one of 181 days in the NICU. That's a long, that's a long journey. Yeah. To, to be able to go home. So what was, what were those first few weeks like for you in the hospital? What, um, how did um, Judah, um, get stabilized to a point where, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't even know really yeah, what to so, ask. What was that first few weeks like? <laughs> it's, I think a lot of people always refer to the NICU and it's, it's interesting. Like we've had an, a long NICU stay. I realize that. Um, I know a lot of people who've had way longer. Um, but I always tell moms that any stay in the NICU stay is a hard stay because mm. you don't, it's unexpected. You don't know that you're going to be here. You all, you also like, it's so hard leaving your child and not being able to have the, the dream of, you know, you give birth and you get to care for your baby in the same room and you get to take your baby home. Like that's what you dream of. Yes. And so even if you're there for a day getting like light therapy, I don't care. It's hard. It's hard for you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so our, it's a roller coaster ride and, and these little guys tend to take, you know, one step forward and 85 steps backwards. (laughs) And so Judah had, they always talk about, especially with micro preemies, which are babies Mm -hmm. born under, I can't remember how they, under a thousand grams, I think I'm going to get this wrong or under 26 weeks. And so that he's a micro preemie. Um, but they, um, they say the first three to five days is kind of like the honeymoon period. So they get the baby stabilized and then, they can do well and almost seem like, okay, there's no problem. 
but anytime you have a breathing tube in place, it's a foreign object that's in your body. And so you're at risk of infection and these guys are so little and so fragile. Mm -hmm. So there's oftentimes, no matter how much, you know, um, hand hygiene and protection that you can give them, they're in incubators with controlled environments, but they still tend to catch these like crazy, um, infections. And so for him, I can't quite remember the exact, like, uh, I think it was at, at three weeks, which was actually my birthday. Um, he got his first infection and that was like a, a horrible night. They told us to stay close by cause he could go at any minute. And so we stayed at the hospital that night. And then it was also suspected that he had a hole in his bowel. And if he had a hole in his bowel, he would need to be transferred to children's and he would need to be airlifted but they didn't know if he was stable enough to airlift him. And so they came back mm-hmm. and they're like, we're just ra- waiting for results from this test, but we have definitely confirmed that he is not stable enough to be transferred. And so we're like, okay, God, like we, we yeah. need our kit, you know, like we need a miracle here again. <laughs> and uh, they came back and they're like, no, there's no perforation in his bowel. So he's, we're, he's good to just stay here. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And so they wow. were treating him with like, you know, every drug imaginable. And so I think within the first four months, he had pneumonia, I think three times, which is very common for a little baby um, that has a breathing tube in. And he had the breathing tube in for 50 days um, and then was, was you know, changed to like a, a little breathing device called a CPAP machine, which looks horrible, but it's, it's actually not that big de- big of a deal. Um, it's just helping them to keep their airway open. And, um, I didn't get to hold him. The first time I held him was day 26 and it took like six staff members because he still had this little breathing tube in and he was probably barely two pounds. Um, and he like literally fit inside my cleavage and I got to hold him for like maybe 30 minutes. And it was I like, I can't imagine what that was like for you. It's an amazing feeling, but at the same time, it's very foreign because you, when you picture holding your baby for the first time, you know what it's like to hold a, a seven pound baby mm-hmm. and have them be, you know, totally at, at peace on you. But this is like, almost like a, like he was almost like not baby like because he's so so little you know was he how do you remember how much he weighed like had he gained at all yeah he he would have weighed around two pounds when I held him okay yeah so he and he was still just so 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 tiny he didn't even have like a bum he was just so tiny um his mouth was the size of my pinky fingernail like that's how tiny he was so just like it's hard to even and it's yeah. funny now because I go back in the unit and I'm looking at babies who are, are smaller than him and and the same size as him and bigger than him. And I'm like, I don't, you don't remember almost like that. You, you do remember, but it's, it, yeah, it's just so, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And so, um, yeah, after those first few bouts with, with pneumonia, he ended up having a bilateral brain bleed, which basically like, um, they detect via ultrasound. Luckily his heart was cleared to be healthy and fine. Um, his lungs were, were the biggest issue by far for us to, to be sent home. And so we got to nearly about the four month mark and we were really hoping to have him home for Christmas. 
and which would have been about five and a half months. And so our team was like, you know what, if now is a time for you to just like, you guys have a little baby moon, like go and get away for a night and, and hopefully, you know, Judah can be sent home sometime soon. And so we decided to go up to Whistler for two nights. And this was the first time I'd been away from him. Pardon me. And so we went into the NICU that morning and kind of said bye to him. And um, we knew that the whole while through, he had been dealing with what's called a nematocele, which is an extremely rare um, type of cyst that develops on the lung when you've been overventilated. Okay. And it's really easy to overventilate a baby like Judah when he's got very underdeveloped lungs. And Mm -hmm. so this cyst is basically like a pocket of air that was getting bigger and bigger. And we knew that even when we were going to Whistler, like it was, we were trialing him on some different types of ventilators through his little CPAP machine. And that was again, like his biggest issue. And he wasn't yet feeding orally because it wasn't safe when you're on a CPAP device. It's just not safe to have, um, anything orally. So he always was tube fed either through his nose or through his mouth. So we went away to Whistler. We got one night and then the next day they actually called us and, um, he had taken a a really bad turn. And so this nematocele had grown to be 80% of one of his lungs and he really did not look good. And so this was obviously like the last call we were expecting when we had kind of been given this, like, yeah, go have fun. And, um, not that it's like the staff's fault or anything. Like we just had no idea that this thing was growing as fast as it was. And so they had made the decision um, as we, you know, packed our stuff really quickly and headed back to the lower mainland. And um, they had made the decision to, to send him on an ambulance and get him to children's as fast as possible. And so basically like we met him at children's hospital, but, didn't know like he was had to be um, sedated so heavily and like paralyzed to for transfer and we got to children's didn't know if he had made it like nothing and we had to sit in the waiting room for probably half an hour until they finally came and got us and what it was so horrible to see you know we left him the morning before and he was doing really well his color was a bit off. And then when we came to see him, you know, we're in a new environment that is like way different than what we were used to. Super scary and a brand new team, all these people that are getting to know him and getting to know us. And he was uh, quite swollen from all the medication that they had put him on Mm -hmm. and just looked really, he looked really bad. And so here we are again, um, at a, another desperate place, we'd kind of like felt like we climbed this mountain, just like fall all the way back down. And within the first two days, they attempted to do a whole bunch of different procedures on him that like either wouldn't work because the second they would start to move him out of the NICU to get him down to radiology, he's, his heart would start to crash. And so, um, the final thing that they decided was they basically pushed all the other babies aside. This was back when, uh, the BC women's NICU is now different, but this was back when it was, I always referred to it as like the open pit and there's, you know, 20 babies all in the same room. And so they pushed all these babies aside and put up these walls and sterilized what they could and did surgery like right there, like right in front of my face. And, um, 
so basically they had done, that was like the first step and that helped him to stabilize. They, they basically put some chest tubes in him and realized what they were dealing with. And then they were able to proceed with their plan, which was to collapse one of his lungs. It's so crazy when I talk about it now, I'm like, this actually happened. (laughs) And they, um, yeah, so they chose to collapse one of his lungs by a procedure that they call selective intubation. So basically they were only ventilating one lung and that causes your other lung to collapse. And how crazy is it that God has created our bodies to basically like our lungs heal once they're collapsed. So, um, this little nematocele was being filled by a hole in his lung. And so the doctors were confident that when the lung was collapsed, it would heal. And when we would reinflate it, that hole would be gone and then nematocele would be no more. And so that's exactly what happened. And so that's incredible. Um, it was just wow. wild. It was really wild to see. My husband always refers to the team at, at BC Children's like the, they're like the Navy SEALs of kids medicine. Mm. And so, um, yeah, wow. so we were there. It was another 19 days of not being able to hold him. And then I finally got to hold him again. And uh, he was on CPAP. And then it was decided that he would get a G-tube for feeding, which is a tube that's like like there's a little kind of button right on his belly that would open up that we could hook up a a feeding tube to. So he got that. And kind of after those things, he just kind of like started rising above all the stuff and just did really well. And on January 13th, which was two days before his six month birthday, we were able to bring him home. Hmm. So where, what was that transition like from the hospital to home? Uh, what kind of support did you guys have in, in making that transition? Yeah, well, it was like, I mean, that was the prize to me was our focus in the NICU was take it one day at a time and just to believe for life and hope. My husband always said, grace for today and hope for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so um, we tried hard all the time not to look too far in the future. And so us being able to take him home just felt like the biggest victory. It was, it was the biggest victory yeah, after yeah. almost losing him how many times. Yes, yeah. Um, so it was just such a celebration to us. And we were kind of like, I don't care how he comes home. And so he came home on 24 hour oxygen. So we just had like tanks and, and, and once you've been in the NICU for six months, like having a kid on oxygen is not really that big of a deal. <laughs> At least it yeah. wasn't to us. Like, yeah, it makes sense. It makes yeah. Sense. And so, um, he was on 24 hour oxygen and then he was also on CPAP at night. And so because he was on CPAP at night, we actually got nurses that were hired for us through a, an agency and they would come to our home. It was actually so wonderful and I miss them so much because <laughs> I got such great sleep when they were here. I know. I remember seeing yeah. you share about that on yeah. Insta stories and stuff. And I remember you even talking about when they, yeah, when that was over. And, mm-hmm. and you, I, I think you, you had shared that it was both comforting to know that Judah was able to be without them there at yeah. night, that he was doing so well, but it was also more work for you. Yeah, totally. Because you were more aware and of, you know, 
yeah, an alert maybe, right? When you're sleeping. And... Yeah, for sure. Like it was always like, okay, I, I, there's somebody else in the house, you know? And, yeah, and that yeah. was a, a thing I had to, I, I felt like God discovered us in the sense that, um, we really lucked out with the girls that we got. We had about, I think there was six of them all together that were kind of, you know, had a schedule of one girl would do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, another girl would do Thursdays and Saturdays. And so we got like the, then they fell in love with Judah and they cared for him as if he was their own. And so we felt really lucky. And Mm, for the most part, they were, yeah, it took a while to get our schedule filled. And so for the first, I would say probably month or two, my husband and I did a lot of shifts where we would like trade off. And so I would go to bed at like eight o'clock and sleep until like 1am. And then I would, he would take over or he would sleep and I would take over watching Judah just because in the early days we were like, we couldn't leave him. We couldn't sleep if he was on CPAP and had a feed running at the same time. It was just not safe to do. And so, um, yeah, it was a lot of sleepless nights. Um, and just okay, and and for somebody, if this was their first child, this yeah. would be a lot of work. Yeah, and this would be oh. emotionally and mentally and physically challenging. Yeah, you guys also had three yeah. <laughs> older children. Yeah, tell me how how were you guys supported? Um, during that time, how are you supported by friends and family? Yeah, um, because that that's not an easy. Um, no, place to be. no, no. So we had, and I mean, like my heart breaks for people that this is their first, uh, taste of parenting. Cause I'm mm. like, this is not normal right. and it gets better. It gets easier. But, um, yeah. So I felt like there, there was actually a lot of comfort for us knowing, you know, we knew how to take care of a baby. We just didn't know how to take care of a baby like this. Um, but yeah, our families just rallied And like I said, my mom had taken off like so much work to be here. My mother-in-law has helped us like hugely, um, just with meals and the kids and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, our church was extremely supportive, like over the top, extremely supportive and, and not even just our church, but churches all over were sending us like finances and, um, gift cards and, I was just telling somebody this the other night that we probably received, I'm not kidding, within those first six months of Judah's life, like $700 worth of Starbucks cards. And to me, like such a coffee lover, it was such a kiss from heaven to be able to go through the Starbucks drive-thru on my way to the hospital, not knowing what I was facing that day and just have a hot cup of coffee and like bring it with me into the hospital. And if there was a time while I was at the hospital where I needed to just kind of step out for a bit, I would go grab myself a coffee. And it was just like so amazing. You felt so supportive in those little ways because God knows how you, you know, God knows the desires of your heart, even when you are in trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And we literally did. My uh, closest girlfriend set up a meal train for us. And so every single night for six months, we had meals delivered every night, like without fail. And like, I say this now as a joke, but like, I, I will die a happy woman if I never eat a lasagna again (laughs) (laughs) or that kale salad from Costco. Oh my goodness. We got a lot of those, but, but it was like, yeah. Right. But it was really, 
blessing, um, though. How crazy, like, to, to show, like, tangible hands and feet of Jesus to, to just give a meal. Or people would, like, we had one family give us a meal that was, like, a make-your-own-taco kit, which was mm. so cute. And then they actually wrapped up, like, gifts for each of our kids. Aww. So, of course, like, I show up, you know, after being at the hospital all day to that on my mm. doorstep was just, like, okay, this is amazing. Like, God's got us. We're good. Yes, yes. And um, and really, my kids, I always tell people this because even, like, you know, the moms that I get to talk to in the NICU now are always, like, oh, my other kids. I'm, like, listen – even if they aren't believers, I will say this to them, but I'm like, just like there, there's grace for you to go through this as this baby's mom. There's grace mm-hmm. for your kids to go through this too. Mm-hmm. And my mm-hmm. kids really like, they were so young. They were five, four and two yeah. when we were, were going through this. And I, I, I feel like they, I mean, they're still young, but I feel like they've walked out of that season, like totally unharmed. And right. so And I think that's because of the support that we had from family and friends. So you'd probably agree that our perspective of God is really a large part of what influences our response to the hard things in life. Big time. Yeah, absolutely. And the the time that we pour into our relationship with him um, matters so much when we are facing those things. Yeah. Praising him in the good times and in the bad. Yeah. I even just... um, was talking with someone actually at, at the hospital yesterday and <clears throat> part of me, they were, I was recalling to them how the staff at the hospital, when we were in the thick of things would always comment to us on like, you know, how are you guys so strong? And, and we don't know how you guys do it. And I would look at them and say, I don't, I don't know how, how other people do it without God. Yeah. Cause I feel like I'm barely standing, but with God, I know that I can, I can do this. And I remember one nurse in particular on one day when I said, I don't know how people do this without faith. And she looked at me and she said, sweetheart, they don't. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, people will crumble when they don't have faith. And you can always like, even her as a nurse, and I don't know what her belief system was. She's seeing all different kinds of people, all different kinds of backgrounds. And she's like, I can tell the ones who trust God. Wow. It was really powerful to me. That's amazing. Right? Yes, that's amazing. So yeah, and not to say like I have, I've of course had my moments of like, God, I feel like I can't handle this, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm desperately crying out to God and, and feel yeah. really broken and feel really, <laughs> but I just feel like uh, speaking of another book that has like changed my life is Anne Voskamp's A Broken Way. Mm. just like completely changed my perspective on, on which I needed. Cause I thought like, okay, well God fixes broken things. That's what God does. He fixes broken hearts. And like, if it's his will for everything to be fixed, but I'm like, and, and just talks about in one part of her book, how like the body of Christ was broken for us right on a cross. So that like something better comes out of that. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. That's how I'm going to live my life. Like, here's our broken piece. Here's our broken part of the story. Like, we're not perfect and we haven't done this perfectly, but like, God, please use it to glorify you and to help people along the way. Mm, Yes. I love that. I'm going to have to read that book because I've heard of of it 
many It's times. one of those <laughs> books. It's interesting because mm-hmm. when we were in the hospital and I, I got to, I got to meet Anne and like just bawled my eyes out with her and, um, and told her how like a thousand gifts changed my life because I read it when I was, uh, first a mom and it just oh. having the gratitude perspective changed how I did motherhood. Oh, that's awesome. And then I, I was given a broken way when we were in the hospital. And I think it was just the Holy Spirit was like telling me, this isn't the time to read this book. And so I put it on the shelf and it was probably just about a year ago that I picked it up and was just like, felt like really encouraged after what we had walked through to know that broken isn't bad. Mm. I, I want to I wanna talk a little bit about um, Judah's condition. We could talk for a long time about all of the different things that he mm-hmm. has surpassed expectations yeah. for, right? And yep. it's been a pretty exciting and amazing thing. So um, do you want to just share a little bit about, yeah, where he, yeah. maybe what his diagnosis kind of was initially coming yep. home and then maybe just try to sum up the kind of what it's looked like a little bit in the last because he just turned three right he did in July yeah 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 okay you know there'd been talks here and there in the NICU specifically about his this bilateral brain sorry bilateral brain bleed it's a hard thing to say um (laughs) he has a grade four on the left and a grade two on the right and grade four is the worst and so, but with his, they, you know, when it, when it first happened, it was devastating and they were like, yeah, like you're probably looking at some type of disability. Mm-hmm. But again, we were like, I'm not looking that far in the future. We're just going to deal with today and hope that he lives. Like that was the point we were at for so many days in the NICU. And then, um, they would do follow-up head ultrasounds. And so we discovered probably after a couple months that, the bleeds in his brain had resolved. And one of the doctors shared with us, like, that's pretty much like the, you know, almost the best that you can hope for when you've had such a severe bleed. And so that just means that it's not causing extra fluid to build up on his brain and and all that kind of stuff and which causes other issues, whatever. So, um, when we brought him home, he was obviously delayed as most micro preemies are. And so we started right away when we got home with physiotherapy and occupational therapy and just things that were going to help him with like what position he was in and like, you know, little um, bouncy seats and trying to get him to hold his head up and things like that. Like what you would do for a typical kind of three month old. Mm, okay. And so as time went on, obviously he's had, you know, this mask on his face all night uh, and he has been fed by a G-tube. And so we're doing the typical things that you do with a baby, like giving him tummy time and all this kind of stuff. Right. And it wasn't until, um, I guess, a, just over a year after we had brought him home that we had an appointment with neurology. And the only reason we had had an appointment with neurology was because his head actually wasn't growing. And so, oh, which okay. his pediatrician, whom he saw once a month, was was keeping track of. So it hadn't grown in about three months. And so he was like, it's a bit concerning to me and I'd love for you guys to see neurology and just check that out. And so we went to see neurology. And again, like this is one of those moments I'm like, I wish I had a camera with me. Well, I do, but obviously you can't just film random people. But this woman was like a an SNL character. Like she 
had like cat hair all over her and was wearing like polyester pants and like a black <laughs> turtleneck. And you could just tell this lady has been in a brain or a computer screen or a book for like 45 years. And so she just has no like people skills and that's fine. You're very good at what you do and that's great. We would hope that for people who are going to work on kids' brains. So she yes. kind of does a big assessment of Judah and again, I was so hopeful that like, okay, God's brought us out of this NICU journey. We got to bring him home and now I'm going to have a perfect child and that's what's going to bring him the most glory. Right. So that was my, my kind of mindset, my hope. And so we get into this appointment. She does this big assessment on him kind of physically and looks at what he can do and what he can't do and then looks at his previous uh, brain scans. And she just looks at us and she's like, well, evidently, he has severe cerebral palsy that affects all four limbs. And I, if I've ever felt like I've been hit by a semi-truck, that was the moment. Oh my goodness. And so this was the diagnosis that I was hoping not to get. Like, give me anything else but cerebral palsy. I don't know why that was just like, it was just fear. Were you aware that that was a possibility? Yeah. Like, yeah. have you been that, given a list of different kinds of things he could face? We hadn't been given a list, but cerebral palsy is definitely a common one for kids who have had, you know, lack of oxygen to the okay. brain or yeah. brain injury um, with prematurity. Right. So that had been discussed a couple times. Okay. Um, anyway, so it was just, yeah, like I felt, I don't want to say blindsided because it's not like it wasn't a, a possibility. But just the severity of it, I wasn't prepared for. Mm. And so I held it together for the rest of that meeting. And then we got into the the parkade and I just like let it out. Like <laughs> just cried my eyes out. And my husband mm. looked at me and was like, "Hun, why are you this upset? And I was like, what do you mean? Why am I this upset? <laughs> like our, we just talked to a neurologist and our kid has like a severe disability and he's like, babe, we have an 18-month-old that cannot sit up. And I was like, okay, yes, but, you know, like, I've I've always been, like, a super hopeful person um, and, like, tend to see, like, I'll see the positive and, like, let's focus on the positive. And mm. so I think that's, like, my it's – it's a plus for me, but can also be a negative that I can have a hard time seeing reality. Mm. Not that I didn't know that this was – our case or that, you know, yeah, of course he's 18 months old and he can't sit up. But like I said, I think just the severity of it was a bit like, okay, so here we go. And so now with that diagnosis, we're kind of going off of, okay, so he's never, you know, people give you the lists of all the nevers. He's never going to walk. He's never going to talk. He will probably not eat anything orally. He will probably like all these things. And so we had a chat with our pediatrician who's like also a miracle in all of this. Cause he is literally the best pediatrician, pediatrician friend <laughs> that one could ever ask for. And he just said to us, listen, this doesn't change anything. And he said, if, if anything, I think it was his words mixed with, I did see a counselor for a little while in and amongst that season just to deal with some like post-traumatic stress that I was going through. Yeah. Um, but I think it was my counselor actually that said a diagnosis is like a handle on a hot pot. And so the hot pot is, is your son. And we just, we need a way to handle it, to pick it up, go from place to place. 
and like to deal with this thing. That's all it is. It doesn't change the situation. It doesn't change how you look at your son. Um, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. Okay. And so, cause I had a big part, you know, and, and still to this day, I say I would wrestle with the fact that like, okay, now he's got this label on him for the rest of his life. Mm. Um, that is very much tied up in his identity. And, and you see a lot of special needs parents talk about like, you know, he is not his diagnosis and he is not his, um, his disability. But at the same time, I'm like, it is part of who he is. And, and we're learning in this stage of, of our lives, we're learning how that unfolds because, and, and I am, I'm still on the, um, I, I fully believe obviously like Judah is, I, 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 pray for him every day. He's healed and whole and he is, um, more than a conqueror. And he's everything that Jesus says I am. Jesus Mm -hmm. says Judah is. Mm -hmm. So just because he has a disability doesn't mean that he is less than in any way. Um, so yeah, we, from that appointment onward, we just kind of, uh, continued with life the way that it was and but yeah, so his limitations now, um, like I said, he turned three in July and he uh, can't stand unless he has help. So he's got a little standing frame that we use for him. Um, he can't walk because obviously he can't stand on his own. And so he's got a little walker that he is sort of trying to figure out how to like propel himself either back or forward. Mm-hmm. Um he can't sit up on his own. So he has a little, uh, it's basically like a glorified high chair that we have for him so that he can kind of interact with his siblings and watch Elmo, which is his absolute favorite thing. Oh, that's Dawson's favorite right now. Too. Yeah. Like he like loves Elmo. I can't even say it without him. Yeah. And so he's had, um, he's one of the biggest miracles in his life is that when we got discharged from the hospital, he was diagnosed with profound hearing loss because of a medication that they had given him um, to basically make him live when he was really, really little. Um, It was an autotoxic medication, which affects your hearing. And so we found that out. That was also like a really devastating moment. Um, Just being like a singer (laughs) and, and having sung to him every day in the NICU, then to hear that he had uh, hearing loss that, that severe was awful. But he has gone from profound hearing loss to mild hearing loss to, like, normal range. Yes. Yeah. So it's just, like, it's that's been a wild thing. Um, And he he definitely, like, hears. He has hearing aids to help him out because one ear is a little bit worse than the other. But he hates them, so he rips them out every two seconds. Um, He has vision loss, and so he's got glasses that he wears that are really cute. Um, he, he is so adorable. <laughs> and then, uh, besides that, like his, so his feeding, he actually got to take his G tube out in April, um, because he's been orally fed for over a year now, like only orally fed. We haven't used his, we didn't need to use his tube for, yeah, like over a year now. And so yeah, they decided to take his tube out. Um, so those things are like defying odds. We had a therapist one time tell us like, you should stop trying giving him a bottle because he will probably never take anything orally. And I was like, nah, no, I'm, I'm going to keep trying. (laughs) 
thank God I did. Yes, yes. So yeah, that's kind of his, his diagnosis has, if anything, I think like opened up a whole new world for us Mm -hmm. that we would have never gotten to be part of. And I think when you're early on in your journey, you don't want to look at that world yet. And I understand that because it's, mm-hmm. it seems really scary. Yeah. And actually just the other day, it was World Prematurity Day. And uh, one of the girls I've connected with on Instagram was kind of posed. She did like a little questionnaire that people could put on their Insta stories. And one of the questions was, what do you want people to know about cerebral palsy? And I just said, it's not as scary as it seems. Like, I think everybody can think of an adult or a teenager that they've known or somebody in school that they've known that's had cerebral palsy or that type of disability. Mm-hmm. And and you think like, oh, that must be tough for life. But like, I'm, I'm just really thankful with Judah. Like, we've, this is all we know of him. And yes, we can believe God to heal, you know, parts and pieces of his life and make him whole and all that kind of stuff. And I know that that will happen if not on earth, that will happen in heaven. Mm -hmm. And so with him, I just feel like we get to know him and we get to grow with him every day and grow in this like world of, okay, we need a ramp for our house or we need a new van that's got um, accessibility and that kind of thing. And the friends that we've made and the connections that we've gotten to have, have been like really incredible. And so I feel like Judah has been I don't want to say like his disability is a gift, but like, I love the scripture that says, be thankful in all circumstances. You don't have to be thankful for all things, but we're thankful in all things. Mm -hmm. So we've been able to, um, yeah, just, I feel like our world has expanded and I'm so thankful for how it has. And like, I mean, you've seen him and seen how joyful he is. He is such a happy child. Like you said, like I, those women that had prayed over me when we were, when I was pregnant with him, like that has come to pass in a level mm-hmm. that I, I never knew I would experience joy this way than having a kid like him and seeing him like he is the most determined, um, feisty, like he has a temper. He's still a toddler <laughs> despite having special needs. He still has a toddler temper tantrums. Um, and yeah, like I, I feel like we learn something from him like every day of just like, let's be content and he's not complaining about things and he's, he could be in a lot of pain for all we know of like his back and his hips and, but he's just like as content as can be and just really loves people and really loves Elmo and it's. So- That's one of the questions I was going to ask you is what's one of the biggest life lessons that you've learned from Judah and you've shared so many things that you've learned, but is there anything that really stands out to you? I think just to grasp um, every day because God's given us today. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. Yeah. And so to, to really love, I feel like I, I feel very challenged frequently to like love, you know, you love your kids uniquely and you treat them the same. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, I... I have, a, I feel like I have a deeper appreciation for Judah's life because of what we've gone through, but I want to have an appreciation for all life, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I think just to take every day with, treat every day with such awe and wonder in what you get to do and how you get to love and who you get to love. That's probably the biggest thing. What are some of the greatest challenges for you right now at this stage in parenting? Oh man. I think that honestly, one of the biggest challenges is like fatigue. Okay. (laughs) So for me in particular, I've had a little bit of a health issues come up since, um, kind of bringing him home from the hospital and that kind of thing. Just, trying to figure out like, okay, is this allergies or what is going on? And so I think because of that, it's, and also like we've had a rough go with sleep with him mm. that thankfully has been pretty figured out in the last month or so. That's good. Which is awesome. So Do we're you getting... think it could be a result of, sorry, a result of stress? A lot of the health. Yeah. The oh, health totally. Stuff? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, There was definitely like uh yeah, a period of time that I went to see about a year ago, I went to see a naturopath and just kind of explained to her everything that was going on. And she's like, okay, so your body just sounds irritated altogether Mm. because stress and hormones and like where you're at being 36 and when I was last year. And, um, she's like, it's not a good combination. (laughs) So she's like, let's tackle this. And so thankfully, like we got on top of quite a few things. Um, Yeah, but I think, like, recognizing that lack of sleep affects so much of your life and so much of your just day-to-day stuff, you know. And so giving myself – I've that's been a hard lesson for me to learn is is to give myself grace in that. Um, But I think that's really, like, honestly the biggest challenge in parenting Judah because I'll have – you know, energy for him for the morning. But then when my kids get home from school, I'm like, I need a nap. So oh, bad. <laughs> that, that is hard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but like I say, like people are always like, what's, you know, he, is it a lot to have him home with all his needs? I'm like, no, he is honestly the most content child. Um, lately he hasn't been loving being in the car, but like, we don't, we don't have a lot of appointments like we used to. When we first brought him home, there was probably two or three appointments a week. Wow. Um, and now it's like probably about five a month. So it's not too bad. Um, and it like kind of gets us out of the house and gets us socializing. So it's fun. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think like the greatest joy is really just like, honestly, as, as a parent to a kid with special needs that has siblings, I think one of the greatest joys is seeing how your kids interact, not only with each other, but also with kids at their school. So for example, my daughter has a little girl in her class that has special needs. And this girl's mom came up to me probably like the second week of school. And she's like, I just want to thank you because June has been so sweet to my daughter. And she just like picked her up from the class lineup and brought her into the class and has been helping her in class. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm like, I'm like that. I haven't tried to teach that. That's the grace of God on her life for her to just have gone, oh, okay, this little girl's brain is probably like my brother's, my brother Judah's, and I'm just going to help her, you know? Yeah. So that is, like, crazy to see. And to Ugh. even think of, like, my kids could have careers in this one day. Yes, yes. You know? And, like, how cool is that that they have had this experience? And I think a lot of times when you've got a kid with special needs, you can think, like, oh, my kids didn't choose this. They didn't choose this life. 
but mm. what a gift it is yes, for them. Yes, I agree. To be I able agree. to, every person that I've talked to, and I mean like countless people have reached out to us on on social media saying like, you know, my brother or my, I had a child with this or whatever it was. And everybody just talks about how like they were such a, um, a joy filled part of their family. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, I'm glad my kids get that growing up then. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. All right. I've got a fun little question for you before we go. <laughs> if you had four hours all to yourself oh. and someone had already cleaned your whole house. Oh my gosh. It's like dream, dream yeah. day. How would you spend that time? Oh my goodness. Okay. Like I could think of a million ways, but I think <laughs> like if tomorrow, if someone came to my house to clean my house, I feel like I would literally like just go to Starbucks get a co- or maybe a better better than Starbucks coffee. Where's um, that? Where's that at? Well, there's one place here in White Rock that has opened up called Everbean that makes fantastic coffees. Um noted. Noted. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I would go for a walk on the beach by myself. Sounds really dreamy right now. Or like I I really love just like browsing through stores, not even like let me go to HomeSense with a coffee in hand. I'm actually going on like in a few days. I'm going down to the states with a couple girlfriends, and I'm like I just can't wait to like not have. I just don't want to have a time frame for anything. Yeah, that's really nice. just like walk around Target for an hour and a half. Yep, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. a perfect date to me. Yeah. Mm Coffee in hand, though. That is the big thing. Yes. <laughs> for sure. Jenna, this has been so wonderful. And I'm, I'm so grateful for you, again, for your willingness to share Judah's story and about oh, the loss um, that you walked through as well with Joseph. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, your family is precious. And um, where can people find you online? So, um, yeah, primarily Instagram. And it's just Jenna Leash, which is... J-E-N-N-A-L-I-E-S-C-H. And uh, there is a website. We're actually going to be doing um, our Christmas campaign for the NICU again. We always, Judah spent his first Christmas in the NICU. So we kind of promised to ourselves that we would always kind of give back on that day in that regard. Mm -hmm. And so we've done up now two years of um, Christmas gifts for every family in the NICU at BC Women's and at Sir Memorial where Judah was born. Oh, that's so amazing. Yeah, so we basically launched like a kind of fundraising campaign and have local businesses and that kind of thing like donate specific gifts. We we like curate this package that's very specific to babies and families um, of all types in the NICU. And um, yeah, so that's kind of will be... Uh, front and center on my website for the next couple of months so that's jennaleash.com so we'll definitely link to the to your website in the show notes so that people can go and visit that yeah yeah yeah. okay thanks jenna so much thank you linnell if i had to pick one word to describe my personal takeaway from this conversation it would be perseverance I'm so encouraged by Jenna's life and motherhood story, and I'm so grateful for her testimony of God's goodness during the trials that she faced 
It's not easy to reach a place of total trust in God's plans, but when we do, there is so much peace that comes in leaving Him with the details. Romans 5 verse 3 to 5 says, But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want to thank you so much, friends, for listening into today's episode. Knowing motherhood is reaching so many women already in just a few short weeks, but my heart longs to see many more impacted by the stories, support, and encouragement shared here. No mama should ever feel alone. Even with all of the resources available today online, there's still so many women experiencing isolation and loneliness in their motherhood journey. Every time you share an episode or leave a review, it really does help with our reach. If you've already done that, thank you, thank you so much. As always, keep your eyes on Jesus, friend. Start your day by resting even for a moment in his presence. Rehearse the truth of who he is. Speak life to yourself and others by recalling God's faithfulness in the past. And if life just feels really overwhelming today, remember who promises to go before you and who stands behind you. See you here next week.